0: Put your hand up if you would like to change in some way, shape or form. Or you'd like something in your life to change. Hands up. Just as a heads up. That should be all of us, by the way, because last time I checked, none of you are perfect. We're all work in progress. Keep them up. Hands up. Okay, now what I'd love you to do is put them down. If um, you have found that you've changed everything you want to change... Uh, in the last couple of weeks since you started this new year and everything's going tickety-boo? That's nobody. Ah, that's good. Um, okay, keep them up if you have set some New Year's resolutions this year. So if you didn't have any New Year's resolutions, put them down. My guess is you've got to the point in life where you're like, they don't work. Am I right? Hello? Yes, okay. So those of you still got your hands up, to keep them up if they are the same New Year's resolutions that you've had in previous years i uh, nervous, kind of like, uh, oh heck, everyone else put their hands down two minutes ago. Okay, you'd be pleased to know that you are on trend with national data. Okay, so relax, we're all in this together. All of us, humans, whatever shape, form we come in, whatever background, whatever faith, we all have a deep, primal desire to change And yet the reality is most of us, despite our best efforts, find that we're not getting very far. Or we got so far and then we got stuck and we've kind of plateaued. Anyone with me so far? Yeah, it's the common human condition. Now there are all sorts of deeply rooted reasons for this, okay, which we haven't got time to go into in any depth, but things to do with your family of origin, the way you were brought up, that actually you realize on reflection weren't helpful but at the time you just thought was normal. Emotional pain from past hurts. Has anyone ever hurt you? Yes. Um, Addictions. And by the way, we all, some way or another, in some way or another, self medicate some form of escape from pain. It might be shopping, it might be alcohol, it might be pornography, it might well be your iPhone. Someone owned it just then. Uh, Patterns of behavior that we've adopted and adapted uh, in our life. Habits and choices we make that actually we know don't help us, but we keep doing them anyway because we can't actually stop. And so we all experience a gap between who we are and who we want to be. Between who we are and who we know God's created us to be, right? And discipleship, practicing the way of Jesus, which is this series we're in at the moment, is essentially about how we can help God close that gap. It's about how we go about closing the gap, okay? So, so far we've seen, just to repeat, well that was meant to go up earlier, um, we are called by Jesus, invited by Jesus to become his Talmudim, that's a word that's often translated disciple but better is apprentice we're invited to apprentice ourselves to Jesus to become uh, one of his apprentices and there were three goals of apprenticeship, I'm going to keep reminding you be with Jesus, become like Jesus, learn to do what Jesus did, if that's new to you Go back a couple of weeks on our podcast, our website, listen in, it would be really helpful. And what I suggested last week is that if we want to experience the life of Jesus, we need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, because he was modelling for us what it is to be truly, newly human. How he lived was meant to be a kind of template for us to emulate. So Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ following the way of Jesus. He is the way, he says, the truth and the life. And we talked a little bit about spiritual formation, this idea of being formed spiritually. But actually, because we are broken vessels, cracked pots, imperfect creatures, it's not spiritual formation so much as spiritual transformation. God isn't starting with some raw material freshly bought and just put out there to create with. He's working with something that's damaged, marred and scarred by sin and pain. And he's in the business of transforming, renewing. The word for renew in the scriptures is not this idea of a new thing, but something old, made new, a renewing. Kynos. We are in the business of being renewed, and then from that place or in that process, joining with God in the renewal of all things, which is one of our mission statements here. So uh, what I want us to do this morning, um, and hang on tight because we're going to go quite quick, is zoom out from the detail and go, okay, how does God work through us in this change process? Put in another way, what are the things that you and I need to do What things do we need to put in place as apprentices so that the Spirit of God can bring the transforming power and love and grace to bear on our lives and literally change us from the inside out? The danger for us is we think it's all that what we do I've just got to strain and strive and try and become that that which God called me to do. If I only work harder, pray harder, read my Bible more, do more at church, then, 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 that doesn't work. Or the other extreme sometimes we drift to is, well, I just need to turn up. And God, by his Spirit, Shabbat, will do the rest. Actually, Jesus talks about partnership. It's both and. It's you and me doing what we can do so that God can do what he wants to do. So one of my friends puts it like this. Without him, we can't. And without us, he won't. Because he's not going to force change on you. So without us, he won't. And without him, we can't. So the question really is not... Are you being spiritually formed? It's whether we are intentionally allowing God to form us in a certain kind of way by doing certain things, practices, etc. Everybody is being formed spiritually. Everybody, everybody out there, everybody in here. Whether we realize it or not, because we are the product of a whole load of things. The question for you and I as followers of Jesus is are we adopting an intentional spiritual formation paradigm or not. So I'm going to show two little graphs or slides in a moment to give you the the contrast. And the question today really is, are you going to live into the intentional one or just keep defaulting to the unintentional one? Okay? Because we have to do what we have to do so he can do what he wants to do. Okay? This is about creating the conditions in which God can work in our life. Are you with me so far? Sound good? You're also so polite that you're just going to listen anyway. Okay, so here we go. This is the unintentional spiritual formation paradigm. And this is how everybody lives, okay? Unless they choose something else. So it's made up of three things that um, are ultimately then determined by the fourth and reinforced by the fourth, which is the thing in the middle. So just quickly going around, we are all formed by the stories we believe. The things we believe about ourselves, Often narratives that get into our head through childhood and uh, adolescence, we're subconsciously, we're not aware of that. Often if you go into counseling, have therapy because you want to change, you realize you believe things about yourself, or you believe certain things about the way the world should be based on your upbringing or based on the word, a lie that was spoken over you, or a really negative experience that you misunderstood, took in and allowed to shape and form how you think and act in the world. Those stories we believe are often not true but they influence how we see and therefore how we think and therefore how we act and therefore what we become. So for example, if you as a kid get told by your school teacher, you will never amount to much, you're thick. If you hear that often enough, you start to believe that, even if it's not true. Okay? And we all relate to this in some way or another, I'm sure. We are formed by the relationships that we have. You, you become like that which you hang out with. It's really simple, it's not hard, really simple. The habits that we have, the the patterns of behavior that we adopt, the choices we make, guess what? If you don't go to bed early enough and get enough sleep, what happens? You become... It's not a trick question. You just become really tired. If you're tired, guess what happens? You struggle to do relationships well, right? All your stuff comes out, and guess what happens at work? Not on it, and da 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 There's a whole load of habits that we have, choices we make that form us. I was told this week by somebody that the average 20 year old, 20 uh, something in this country, swipes their iPhone or equivalent, guess how many times a day? 2,700. Shock, horror. Tonight it will be like nervous laughter. Okay? It's a habit. You're all going, well, I don't think I'm that bad. Uh, digital we will come to digital addiction in a bit, next, next week, I think. Okay, And then, of course, we're shaped and formed by our environment. So we live in Worcester. We live in the 21st century. We have the current government we have, no comment. We have the current president of America, no comment, <laughs> um, okay? Just read my Twitter feed if you want to know what I really think. Um, these things shape us. We live in a cultural context that shapes and forms us. And unless we're consciously, as a Jesus follower, recognizing how that's forming us and doing something about it, because often it's forming us in a way that doesn't take us further to Christ-likeness, then we will just become somehow complicit in a passive formation experience. So most of the time, we are not what we want to be and we don't see the change we want to see because we have some version of that that's going on because we haven't replaced it intentionally, with a better one. You with me now so far? I don't want to leave anyone behind this morning. Okay? So Dallas Willard, um, I used this quote last week or the week before, but this is really important. He says this, "'Spiritual formation in the Christian tradition "'is a process of increasingly being possessed "'and permeated by such character traits "'as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship "'with Jesus, our teacher.'" Spiritual formation, in the Christian tradition, is doing the right things so that the right things can come into us, so we become like that which we're called to be. Jesus restores to us the image-bearing call of humanity, and the Spirit takes what's true of Jesus and forms us into his likeness. We don't become clones of Jesus, we just take on the same character of him, wholeness and holiness. By being with him and being around him and learning to do what he does, it becomes true for us. And so spiritual formation actually is counter-formation. We are unintentionally, if we don't do something about it, being formed by some version of all of that, right? So unless we choose a better version of that, then we will just become some version of what that creates in us. And the call of a disciple is to actually adopt an intentional Christian spiritual formation paradigm. Are you up for that? This is possibly one of the most significant talks, if you like, I think I've ever done. Um, So I'm really keen that you get this. And I'm conscious it's a lot, but you need to see it as a whole today. And then we're going to come back and unpick some of it as we go. So um, here is the alternative. It is to make sure that there are four things going on for us, day in, day out, in all sorts of different ways, depending on where we're at and who we are and what day of the week it is. But it's four things, and we're going to look at those real quick this morning. But you and I are called to be formed intentionally by the Spirit into the likeness of Christ. These are the four things we have to do so God can do what he wants to do. Number one is we have to allow the teaching of the scriptures, whether it's reading them for ourselves or having them taught well, hopefully, by people like me, actually shape and form us. We'll come back to why in a moment. It's about making sure we adopt the right practices, okay? Doing the things that change our habits. We'll have a quick look at that as well. It's about being in good Christian community, healthy, functional Christian community community. All of which allows the Holy Spirit to be at work in us. And so we need to actively engage, as I repeatedly say, with the Holy Spirit, who will work through those three things around the triangle. Okay? And so essentially what we're doing is we're taking these things, the unintentional paradigm, and we're replacing them with something better. So instead of stories we believe, it's teaching. Instead of habits, which we subconsciously do. It's intentional practices to change our habits. Instead of just some sort of like network of relationships that's kind of random often and inherited and acquired and not really thought through, it's not that you ditch all your relationships, but it's that you make sure within all of that you've got Christian community. And rather than being passive to your environment, you actually make sure that the thing that most defines your environment is the presence of God. Are you tracking? Great, does this sound good? Like, I love this, so I'm going to get off on this, even if you guys don't. Okay, so, in a kind of nerdy, theologian kind of way. Right, so, real quick, turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to Mark chapter 1. We looked at this last time, we're not going to spend long on this, but the point is just to remind you that when Jesus begins his ministry and starts teaching, what's the first thing he says? What's the central message to the gospel? If you ask most people that, they'll say, oh, it's that God loves you. It's true. It's something about hope. Yeah, good, true. It's something about justice for the poor. Yeah, good, true. But actually what Jesus said was that the kingdom of God is near. And therefore love, hope, and justice come. That's what he said. And his instruction as he taught those first followers was this. Repent and believe. Now, the word repent, as I've said before, does not mean repent, you sinner, or are you are going to go to hell? Which is the classic street preacher, right? Repent is the word, in Greek, is the word metanoia, which literally means change your mind. Change your mind. See anew. Have your understanding of what's true changed by the revelation of Scripture through the Spirit by good teaching, which is why teaching is a spiritual gift. And uh, I think I've got it, right? So, I hope I have, otherwise I'll quit. So, The point is this, that that we need good teaching to shape and form us, so that we see and so that we can change our minds. Why? The anchor text, Romans 12 here, do not conform to the pattern of this world, don't conform by being unintentionally formed by the way of the world, but be transformed, right, that word again, how? By the renewing, that word again, of your mind repentance. That's one of the keys to transformation is having our minds renewed. How do we have our minds renewed? By being helped to see in you through good teaching, revelation of what's true and exposing of what is not true. Someone teaching you, you sitting under the teaching of a whole load of people that will teach you the true story of the world and therefore what's true about you. And for you to face up to the fact that some of the stories you believe about the world or about you, about how you should be human, they're lies, they're flawed, they're broken, they don't promise what they offer. It's not what Jesus has for you. What is the true story of the world? Good teaching should disrupt you. Like holy disruption. If you don't leave from here with your mind scrambling and thinking, oh my goodness, I need to think this through, then either I've done a terrible job, or you have not been listening. Or a combination of the two. Good teaching confronts the lies of our culture. It exposes the flawed scripts in our head. You are loved. Where does that clash with the little tape in your head that I'm not worth anything? It says that the, the worldview that you unconsciously bought into it's flawed. It disrupts and challenges us. See, teaching's aimed at the mind and at the imagination. Good teaching takes you beyond information to imagination. Imagine what it would be like if we lived that. And that was true for us. The possibilities are endless. How exciting. And so it's crucial spiritual formation, which is why we go on and on and on about getting here on a Sunday. And if you can't, listening to the talks online, it's not all about the teaching, but it's very much about the teaching. So again, Dallas Willard, why? Because he's the expert on this. He's the genius on this. He says this, the process of spiritual formation in Christ is one of progressively, so notice that Again, the idea it takes time, progressively replacing destructive ideas and images with the images and ideas of Jesus himself. Taking one story and replacing it with another. Taking one set of possibilities and transforming your mind so you see a different set. Okay, this is crucial, you get this. It all takes time. And it takes time because we take time to change and to adjust, and to understand, and to adapt, and to adopt. It doesn't happen like that. If only it would, right? Maybe. Although I think we'd miss out on the learning process if that happened. And so God, in his grace, slowly but surely, takes the time to rewire, literally rewire, our brains. I read a book last week that blew my mind by um, an American neuroscientist called Kurt Thompson on the, di- on the link between neuroplasticity and the spiritual disciplines. okay? Like, not something I would recommend you all go and read, but it literally blew my mind. Because he says this. Neurons that fire together wire together. So neurons are are the little things that send signals down your neural pathways in your brain. So between what you see and hear and da-da-da-da, to shape what you think. And then what you think determines how you act, right? What you say, what you do. And so he says neurons that fire together wire together. In other words, neurons that repeatedly activate in a particular pattern are statistically more likely to fire in that same pattern, the more they are activated. In other words, repetition is how we rewire our brain. So if you want to change a habit, you don't spend all your energy trying to stop doing that. You understand why you're doing it, for sure, that would help. But you adopt a new practice because you've had clear teaching and you understand why, and you repeatedly do that, and the more you do it, the more your brain will rewire itself. So that becomes your new normal, not that. Because the brain, it turns out, is plastic. Not as in plastic, but as in it has a plasticity. You can rewire it, you can shape it, you can remold it. That's good news if we're addicted to things that are bad for us, because you can learn, in effect, a positive alternative you can find that your brain is rewired. It's So good for us, It's such good news. The more we repeatedly do something, because the more we keep hearing it and having it reiterated to us, the more we will see like that and the more we will think like that and the more we do that, the more we'll act accordingly and eventually over time, we change. And some of you will go, oh, that's been my experience around that, that's why. And teaching is crucial in all of that. So I really want to encourage you to think about how you engage with the Scriptures. It's great to come on a Sunday and listen to good teaching, and I think, it's, you know, I think we do that well here. But actually, you need to be reading your Bible and letting it teach you. You need to be thinking and reading and talking and listening to podcasts and all those other things that help us just have our minds renewed as we see afresh. Okay? Now, some of us will love that, so that's totally my thing. I'm, like, never happier than when everyone's gone away for, like, a week, and it's just me and my books are, like, you know, I'm happy. Some of you find that really hard. We're going to put some ideas out as to how to help you towards the end of this series, but teaching is crucial, okay? So at the very least, please listen every Sunday. Listen in if you're not here. Okay, you with me so far? That's teaching. Good. I mean, all of these could be a sermon series on their own, right? So I'm giving you the top-level stuff. Number two. Practices, okay? Teaching is not enough. Uh, it's great, but you can't stop here. Why? Because you can't think yourself into change. You can't think yourself into Christ-likeness. Have you ever left here, hopefully you have, uh, got to lunch on Sunday, and you're like, really inspired to change? Like, you've been moved. The teaching was so good that you're like, yes! Ever happened? Don't leave me hanging. It's like, oh. Um, okay, and you're like, right, come on then, let's this week, let's do it. And then by Tuesday, you've completely forgotten what we said. Right? That is the harsh reality for the preaching team. We know that. Here's why. Because prob- the problem isn't knowledge. We know what to do. That's not our problem. The problem isn't that we um, don't understand. It's the information transfer, even revelation of what's true, that's not enough for transformation. Because it only becomes true for us when we put it into practice. Okay, And this is where, in our tradition, we struggle. Because we think, oh, we've heard it, somehow by osmosis I will become like that. Uh-uh, doesn't work. So um, Jesus told us this, by the way, so it's not my news. Uh, Matthew... Um, 7, therefore, uh, this is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine, he's been teaching, and what? notice this, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. If you don't put it into practice, it's just great teaching. But when you put it into practice, that's the wise thing to do. And that's when it has transforming power for us. Knowing is not the same as doing, right? And doing is not the same as wanting to do it. Okay, so we have to understand that for us to appropriate and take into account and let it become true for us, that which we now see by the transforming of our mind, the renewing of our mind, for that to become true for the whole of us, we have to practice it, change our patterns of living so that we live it into us and live it out of us. The things we do, do something to us. So when you repeatedly do good things, they shape and form you. So when you get up every morning and sit quietly with God, or you do that at other points in the day, then that has an effect on you. When you turn off your phone on your Sabbath, that does something to you. And the more you do the right things, the more good things can happen to you. The Spirit will work through all of that to bring change. And this is because, actually, ultimately, although we see with our mind, have fresh revelation and clarity in our heads, and teaching gets into our head, actually, our habits and practices change us in the heart. That's where they get us. So actually, it's head and heart which we need to work on. So James K.A. Smith, amazing guy, theologian in America, wrote this incredible book called You Are What You Love or we are what we love, um, totally recommend it. He says this, the heart is the fulcrum, it's like the the point uh, where it all comes together of your most fundamental longings, a visceral subconscious orientation to the world. Your heart, this soul, spirit, heart thing, it's from that place that we intuitively engage with the world, shaped by our thinking and our understanding. And so actually we can have all sorts of clarity up here, but if this doesn't change through practice and changing what we think and do and act, then we will keep interacting with the world based on our subconscious longings. And so we actually have to train ourselves to want to do the right things. And we do that by practicing the right things. The practicing the way of Jesus helps us learn and adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. So here's what he goes on to say. What we love in our hearts has a far greater influence on what we do than what is in our head. That's the big news. We are what we love. The problem isn't that we love. It's that we love the wrong things for the wrong reasons. And the spiritual practices help us learn and train ourselves to love the right things in the right way for the right reasons. We are the cumulative effect of our habits, our choices, our routines, our preferences. They shape the direction of our love. And so if you put the right things in place, the direction of your love, ultimately to God, and then a selfless expression of that, that will form and shape and become true of us. Okay? In line with that which we know is true and what we're called to. The spiritual practices, in other words, they help us to counter the unhealthy things that we do and form new habits which in turn transform our lives. Some of you will know this, um, particularly if part of your New Year's resolution was to go to the gym. Um, It takes six weeks to form a new habit by doing the right practice. And how many days to lose it? Anyone know? Six! Okay, six weeks to form a new habit, basically a week to lose it which is why everyone goes to the gym all the way through January, they have a week off in February, and then yeah, forget it. So you have to keep at it, okay? And uh, you'll see why in a moment, but you can't do it on your own for that reason among, among others, okay? So what we love, who we love, is really important. And this is why the teaching and the practices come together, actually, because you can't separate them out. You need both together. Teaching shows us what... The practices essentially show us how to get there ourselves. Does that make sense? You're so kind. Now here's the thing, teaching and practice aren't enough. You're thinking, man, this is getting harder. Uh, the third thing, if you remember that little diagram we had, is community. In place of, or well, not in place of, but within a network of relationships that we all have, some more complex than others. I'm going to say a bit more about this in a couple of weeks because I want to unpack a couple of ideas around this. But for today, here's why community has to be in your spiritual formation paradigm, the way you go about living. And by community, what I mean is this. Being intentionally committed to a small group of people within this bigger thing called the Church Family of All Saints. And not just committed to turning up at the gatherings of that small group every week or every other week, but being committed to that group of people, whether you're gathered or scattered, actually in the same way that we hope you are to this thing called All Saints. And it's about covenanting yourself to that community, choosing to knit yourself into it, to become part of that. Because, you know, Jesus talks about apprentices the most. That's the most commonly used description of us in the Gospels. The second most commonly used description of who we are is family. He often talks about brothers and sisters, right? You and I are brothers and sisters to each other. At the heart of our relational networks in our life should be this little community from a bigger thing that we've made a decision to commit to. Why? Because it's actually the crucible in which transformation takes place. Why? Because that's what it is to be human, is to be in relationship. Put it another way, you cannot follow Jesus on your own. Number, I, I, There's three ideas here, basically. Community is not optional for followers of Jesus. You, you can't do it on your own. You're not meant to, you're not designed to, it doesn't work. We keep trying, but it doesn't work. And I don't just mean a small group. I mean, it might be a midday, it might be a midweek group on a daytime. It might be four or five of you that do it in, sort of informally. Our small group structure is there to incubate the real thing. There's no guarantees we'll get there, but that's the theory. And we'll talk about that in more detail another time. But notice, Jesus is always with at least two or three people. He has 12 that he does life with, he's in community, he modeled it for us. Joseph Hellerman, who wrote this great book about the early church, Uh, says this, um, spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. Now he studied this for 30 years and he goes on to say this, people who stay grow, people who leave do not grow. It is a simple but profound biblical reality that we both grow and thrive together or we do not grow much at all. So, when people say to me, I feel stuck in my spiritual life, the first question I ask them is this Are you in a.? However frustrating they can be, however dysfunctional the people in it might be, however irritating you might be to them, that is where it happens. All right? It's just where it happens. Um, And that's because, number two, community is non-optional for a well-lived life, regardless of your faith framework. Everybody wants to be in some form of healthy, functional community. Everyone's craving good, healthy relationships. Most of us struggle to know how to do it. Social media has distorted our attempts to do that. More about that in two weeks' time. But life is better in community. Romans 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who Okay, so when you have good news, something to celebrate, what do you do? Unless you're an extreme introvert like me, which actually sounds great, you don't go to the supermarket, buy a bottle of champagne, go home and drink it on your own. You throw a party. You go out. You tell everybody. Why? Community. And Most of the people, when, I, when, with, when we're with people who are dying or, or who are grieving, what they want, they don't want you to talk. They don't want to discuss it most of the time. They just want you to be with them. They just want company. This is the primal basic need. OK, so, so we're meant to live into a healthy version of it, just, not just for us actually, but so that the world can see what functional family should look like. So we've got a long way to go, but if you want the growth thing, if you want the change thing, you've got to get into community. You just can't do it any other way. So you're welcome to keep coming on a Sunday, obviously, but I'm going to keep on hang, you know, going on and on about that. And that's because, number three, community is the context for transformation. Two things happen, don't they, when we're in community. Number one, we get encouraged, hopefully. If your small group is not encouraging, have a quiet word with me or Kath and we'll, you know, have a not-so-quiet-where with your leaders. Um, It should be a place of encouragement, giving you courage to go for the things that God's calling you to do, to embrace the change process that you need to embrace. To together, encourage each other to practice the way of Jesus, to work this stuff out together. So all the small group leaders are being sent every Monday some follow-up notes from the Sunday teaching if they want to use it, to help you embed it into your life, okay? But the other thing about community, and this is the bit we don't like and which is why some people avoid it, this might be you, is that we get exposed in that kind of intentional community. Because it's very easy to put on the facade on a Sunday, to present the highlight reel of our life. You know, the curated version, the bit we're happy about and to hide all the other stuff. But I tell you what, If you do community properly with the right people, you get exposed, all your crap comes out. And you find people still love you anyway, that's the theory, but it's pretty hard, There's nowhere to hide. But actually that's good for us, because it's better out than in. Teaching, practice, and community. Those are the three things that you and I all need to have in place. In our life, those are the things that create the conditions in which the Holy Spirit can be at work in our life. And so, quickly to end, how does that work? Um, Gordon Fee says that the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. God's empowering presence. The Spirit wants to do in us what He's sent to do, which is to change us. To transform us. So to our text for today, and I don't have a Bible in front of me, but Owen, being a good curate, has it open. Uh, He's not a curate anymore. Sorry, buddy. Where's he gone? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, which Andy was going to read before he was cruelly ditched. Um, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. And we tend to think of that as just freedom like from something, yes. But it's also this bigger experience of being free to be. Free to become who we are. Becoming all that God created us to be. And we, he says, who with unveiled faces, there's loads of theology behind this, all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. When the Spirit is, transformation and freedom come. Where does the Spirit go? wherever he's able to, you create the right conditions, you get more of the Holy Spirit at work. It's not rocket science, okay? The more you engage with the teaching, the more you engage in community, the more you engage with the practices, the more you put those three together and work it out in community, the more the Spirit can be at work in you and the more transformation you will experience. It's really, really not difficult to understand. It's very difficult to do. Can I get an amen? Okay, Because what happens is, we, when we think about all this, what we really like, what we hope God will do, is the breakthrough moments. And often they're the stories we tell, right? But when I hear people talk about what the Spirit's done in them, and often we're guilty of this, we, get, we perpetuate a certain understanding. We hear stories of, God healed me of this. Or I got set free of this. They're often the kind of the breakthrough freedom moments, the Holy Spirit stories. And that's wonderful. I love those. I'm all up for that. I love that Abby goes out from here as an evangelist, confident to minister in the power of the Spirit. That's her calling. But actually, the problem with that is they're quite rare, those moments. Have you noticed? And the danger is that we just hang on and think, well, I just need a breakthrough experience. I need a power encounter with Jesus. And then my lifelong battle with anxiety will just disappear And actually, the reality is most change isn't going to come through breakthrough moments, however good they are. They're going to come through lots and lots of little process moments. Lots and lots of you and I, thousands of times a day, making good choices, practicing certain things. The long, unglamorous obedience in the same direction. The long and boring life. Getting up early, disciplining ourselves with technology, whatever it is that we have to do to become that which we're called to be, that's where the money is. That's where the transformation is. That's where the change is most of the time. And that's what the Spirit's desperate to do. And so in any given moment, we look and we analyze and we go, ah. But if you look back far enough, and you need, often need help from other people to do this, you see a trajectory of change. And formation. And it presses us on. Keep going. Change is harder than we want it to be. And it takes longer than we expect. Right? But that's the reality. And so if we will do our bit, God will do his bit. Faithfulness and obedience, that's our bit. Fruitfulness, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, That's the byproduct of all of that. That's not a list of behavior change. That's a list of character change. Of literally what we've become as God's transformed us. And so sometimes, this is my final comment, we have these moments along the way where we have to face who we are or who we're not. And we have to embrace pain, have to look in the mirror long enough, and in the context of community say, I don't want that to be true for me anymore, and I'm going to make the changes I can make so that God can do the change in me that I want him to do and he wants to do. Will you help me? Will you pray for me? Ask anyone who's followed Jesus for any length of time. Michael, how, how long have you been following Jesus? 70 years. Seventy years. So I'm 41. I know that's hard to believe. Michael's been following Jesus nearly twice the length I've been alive. Okay, amazing. And he's still here. If, I guarantee if you go and chat to Michael and Beryl, they will tell you that it's in the hardest moments, the hard knocks of life, where they've changed the most because they've not run from it. Does that f- framework make any sense? Okay, good luck. Uh, no, no, I'm joking. We're gonna keep following this through. We're gonna help each other. We're gonna unpack it in more detail, but I want you to grasp it. Would you stand? I'm gonna um, finish with um, a blessing slash reading of scripture. And then at the end of that, if you are here today and you know that you're stuck and you want to be transformed and you know that you need fresh confidence and courage, you need to kick up the backside from the Holy Spirit and you just want the Spirit to come and breathe upon you, then then in in a minute I'm going to ask you just, if you'd like this, to come up to the front or step into the aisle so we can lay hands on you and ask the Holy Spirit to come and do that. It might be a breakthrough moment. More than likely, it'll be fresh confidence to keep on keeping on. All right? Here is... Romans 12, from the message paraphrase. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Don't chase the mountaintop moments. They come when they come. You don't get to the top of a mountain without climbing it. Take your everyday, ordinary life. So Lord, that's what we do. We just lay again before you our lives. The everyday ordinary, the boring stuff, the mundane. And We bring who we are to you, the bits we like and the bits we hate. The stuff that puts, gets onto our social media feed and the stuff that doesn't. And we pray that you'd help us collectively and individually in the power of your spirit to create the conditions in our life through teaching, practice, and community so that you can be at work deep in us, to change us, to bring freedom. So we say, come, Holy Spirit. Breathe upon us.